seeing it right in front of him. And I would dare say it's not the first time. He's also, remember, he's in Jerusalem, sitting at the side of the road. What is the number one topic of conversation in Jerusalem at this time as people are walking up and down the streets? Uh, That fellow Jesus of Nazareth is creating so much turmoil. Everybody's talking about him. Not long before, he had healed a man at the pool of Bethesda who was infirm for 38 years. Oh, that nasty Jesus, he healed him on the Sabbath day. He broke the Sabbath in being kind to that man. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this, this is the Sabbath day also. I think Jesus actually went out of his way to heal people on the Sabbath in order to just stir up the Jewish leadership. But this young man, the apostles aren't the first ones to bring up this whole thing. I would dare say, even though he is a illiterate, blind beggar at the side of the road, he probably knows more about his condition and the likelihood of his ever being healed than anybody because he's been a topic of conversation of so many people walking by him, some of whom have dropped a coin in his cup and others who didn't. But he's been spoken of right before himself. He's heard these conversations. So I would dare say of all the people on the planet, he may actually have the most information about the likelihood of his being healed. It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. But he's also heard the conversations of the people in the streets talking about this fellow Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, by the way, he healed that man at the pool of Bethesda who was in, had an infirmity for 38 years. He's heard these accounts. And now here, is the, here are these disciples of Jesus and Jesus. And Jesus puts makes the clay, puts it on his eyes, and then, okay, I want you to wash your eyes out at the place I am sending you to. A place called Sent. You know, I would dare say that before he got to that pool, that well, he passed plenty of places where he might have gotten his eyes washed out. But from what he had heard on the street, hmm, I think I will do what this fellow Jesus says to do. And perhaps I will experience something like the man at the pool of Bethesda here in Jerusalem experienced. And so many others were told in John chapter 2 that Jesus, when he cleansed the temple the first time, did many, many, many signs, which probably include healings. I think I will... I've heard about this guy. I think I will follow through on his instructions. I will have that much faith. And he came back seeing. They said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash So I went, and I passed up a lot of other places where I could have washed my eyes out. No, I went, I followed his instruction. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he, this fellow Jesus? 
He said, I do not know. Then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Ah! Okay, now what I love about this whole passage is here is this illiterate, uneducated, in quotes, fellow. The one thing he does that slays the Pharisees, that slays the Jewish religious leadership, what makes him impossible for them to handle is one simple thing. He simply follows the logic. I know what happened to me. Hmm. I wonder what sort of person it would take to do this for me. That's all he does is follow the logic. What are we asked to do in John's Gospel? Over and over and over and over, follow the logic. He turns water into wine. There are seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does. He did hundreds, if not thousands of miracles. John the Apostle only lays out seven because these seven are enough. He turns water into wine. That's a creation miracle. He heals the nobleman's son from afar, and the nobleman gets back home a day and a half later, walking from Cana back to Capernaum. And he's met by his servants. Your son came out of his near-death experience yesterday. What time? Oh, about one in the afternoon, about the seventh hour of the day. That's exactly when Jesus told me he was healed. And he and his whole family believed. And Jesus fed the 5,000. And Jesus walked on the water. And this is number... And there was one other. This is number... Okay, yeah. That's five. It's okay. This is number six of the seven. He heals this man born blind. And everybody who's walked the streets of Jerusalem knows about this guy. They've all walked by him at some time or another. Is word going to get out? They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, the number one enemies of Jesus. Why? Because he is a threat to their religious standing, their standing in the culture. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. (laughs) Well, we've already seen. Jesus in other Gospels, and we've already seen at the Pool of Bethesda, he did an outrageous miracle. And the the debate among the people is, yeah, he broke the Sabbath, but he did a miracle. That's something only God can do. Is God allowed? Is God allowed to set aside the Sabbath law? And what have we seen Jesus cite in other Gospel accounts? Did you know that every Sabbath, the priests in the temple were breaking the Sabbath law because they had responsibilities to carry out in the temple that they were doing work on the Sabbath and they were instructed to do that. God had deliberately, in the law of Moses, set up the breaking of the law in the law. You couldn't keep the law 
without breaking the law. And we have the episode where Jesus is in a, in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And here is a woman who has been, who is crippled up, bent over. She has been for many, many years. And Jesus healed her. And she was able to walk straight for the first time in years. And the synagogue leader blew a gasket. You've got six days to come and be healed. Don't bring sick people on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, you hypocrite. Don't you lead your donkey out of the stall to get a drink? Don't you lead your ox out of the stall to get a drink on the Sabbath day? You're breaking the Sabbath. But you do it. Why? Because you have pity on a donkey or an ox. May I not have pity on this daughter of Abraham? And everybody in the synagogue is agreeing with Jesus. This man is not from God, verse 16, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said, to the blind man again. What do you say about him? Because he has opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. Now, where, has, where did he start? He starts out as a blind man, a young blind man at the side of the road. He's heard about Jesus. Jesus puts the clay on his eyes. I think I will. I've heard good things about this fellow and his healing ability. I think I'll actually have enough faith to obey him and pass up the other faucets and places where I can get water. I'll go where he told me to go. I'll have that much faith in it. And he washed his eyes at the pool of scent and was healed. Hmm. He's a healer. I, 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 he, he must be a prophet. He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? You know, yeah, he could have just been faking it all this time. He could have just been faking it all this time. He was just pretending to be a blind beggar. Uh, they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know this, that this is our son and that he was born blind. By what, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the Jewish leadership, for the Jewish leadership had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, Jesus, was the Christ, the Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They wanted to back out of this situation. So they again called the man who was born blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Really? 
Well, he broke the Sabbath. But you can't keep the law without breaking the law, the Sabbath law. So the God, who, who wrote the law? Who governed Moses? Uh, God did. So does that make the actual author of the law, God, a sinner? <laughs> because he made it unkeepable? The, the shallowness of their logic is, frankly, silly. Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Okay? We got a fact here. We got a fact. I was blind, but now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <coughs> Jesus answered them, I, excuse me, he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> He's getting a little bit tired here of their nonsense. Do you also want to be his disciples? We, and here he's still speaking. This is the smart guy in the room, okay? He's following the logic. We know that God spoke to Moses. Excuse me. Verse 27, he answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you not hear? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. By the way, in John's Gospel, Jesus has constantly, constantly, constantly said, I'm from heaven. Did you know I'm from heaven? I'm from heaven. I'm from the Father. I'm from the Father. I'm from heaven. I'm from heaven. Go back to John chapter 3. John the Baptist speaking, I am from the earth. I'm earthly. I'm from the earth. He is from heaven. He is from heaven. He's sent by the Father. Moses, uh, you are his, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why? I love it. This is the teenage kid who's holding their feet to the fire. Why, this is a marvelous thing. Whoa. Isn't this amazing? that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. He did an absolutely solid gold miracle. And you religious leaders don't know where he is from. <laughs> now we know, he continues, now we know that God does not here, sinners. What did they just say about him? He's a sinner. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. What was his first declaration? 
he, has to, he must be a prophet. Now what's he saying? If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he, God, hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who, born, who is born blind. How does he know that? Because he's had experts walking past him on the street for years saying it. Oh, let's drop a coin in this young fellow's cup because there is no hope for him no one has ever been healed of blind from birth condition. He is one of the world's leading experts on this condition. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. He's simply following the logic. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Uh, what do debaters do or seek to do when they're about to lose a debate? <laughs> they shut down the debate. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Well, they didn't run away. They threw him out. Because they couldn't handle the logic, the simple, profound logic of this teenage boy who's only looking at the logic. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, Jesus went seeking him. He said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Well, I think he's a prophet. Well, he has God's ear. He can't be a sinner. And now Jesus says to him, and he doesn't know it is Jesus. He says to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Let me take you the full distance, young man. Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now, he's heard Jesus' voice before, but he's never seen him. He was blind at the time of their last encounter. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now, this seen him, here I am, right in front of you, but can we perhaps understand this perhaps to mean when I anointed your eyes with the clay in your mind and your heart you were seeing me you were believing the statements that you had heard in passing of people walking by you you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. He's a prophet. He has God's ear. 
Oh, he is the Son of God, worthy of worship. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see, and maybe we should put quotes around that, may be made blind. Who declared to the culture, the Jewish culture, that they were the people of the greatest, clearest eyesight? the ones who had God absolutely, totally understood. It was the Pharisees. They declared to be themselves the most visually perfect people in the culture, and yet they're rushing to the darkness. When the light appears before them, they flee. And yet it's a man born blind, the beggar at the side of the road. John chapter 4, it's the Samaritan woman. Been married five times now living with a man who's not her husband. It is the God qualifies the disqualified. And the people who declare themselves to be qualified never really were. Now, there were some who did. There were some who, like Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and then tried to make a half-hearted defense of Jesus and then finally at the close of the Gospel of John narrative he would be one of the two men receiving Jesus' body to care for it and place it in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But for the most part the Jewish religious leadership led the charge in Jesus' crucifixion because he was a threat to them. They thought in fact, he was their deliverer, just as he is for anyone else. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. They actually do see. They do know what the evidence points to. But their hearts are hard. They will not forfeit their role, their place in this culture, in this society, in favor of their own soul's redemption. That's how hard our hearts are until Jesus gives us sight, incites us to run to him for his blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, we can be so grateful that the one who bears ultimate responsibility for us coming into the kingdom is the Good Shepherd. He loves us more than we love ourselves. A large portion of the human race has given up on itself. 
Oh, I don't deserve mercy. Well, by its very definition, mercy is undeserved. It's undeserved forgiveness. It's undeserved restoration. God just doesn't wipe the slate clean. He writes got his own righteousness on it and pretends that we lived Jesus' own life. The very righteousness of Christ, God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. When he went to the cross, he took on upon himself the guilt of every member of the human race from the time of the fall of Adam until the end. He took upon himself our guilt. He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He doesn't just wipe our slate clean. He writes the very righteousness of his son so that the welcome we can expect in God's own throne room is the welcome of Jesus. He attaches that to us. It's not just forgiveness. It's far more than that. It's an elevation as his sons, as his heirs. And let me remind you, that word son was applied to females as well as males in the courtroom. It meant full heir. Are you glad? Let's be glad together. Our Lord, we ask that you would enable us to walk in the gladness that belongs to us because of your aggressive mercy. Not only did you pay sin's penalty for us on the cross, but personally you tracked us down. And that, in fact, will be the subject of the next chapter of you, the Good Shepherd. We ask to, to enable us to walk in the joy of the forgiveness and restoration to a welcome with you that belongs to us. And all God's people said, Amen.